Welcome to the Level Up Podcast, brought to you by Century 21, the Harrelson Group, featuring masterminds with real estate leaders, coaches, and influencers, plus eye-opening strategy sessions with up-and-coming agents. You'll learn exactly how to go from agent to entrepreneur. And now, let's get to the latest episode of Level Up. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Level Up podcast, where we are talking with people that have gone from agent to entrepreneur. And uh, today, we've got a great guest from the Century 21 family with Century 21 Masters in Long Beach, California, uh, Ms. Melinda Elmer. Melinda, welcome to the, uh, to the podcast. I really appreciate you hopping on here. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. So it looks beautiful um, in the background. That's not a poster, right? That is sunny California right now? It is, definitely. <laughs> oh man, looks looks awesome. So, for those uh, in the audience that may not know who you are, um, Linda, can you just kind of bring us up to speed? Give us a little bit of uh, background on how you got into the business. I know you've been in for a while, and um, you know, kind of what uh, what you started with and and what you've grown that to. Sure. Yeah, I've been in the business for about seventeen years. I uh, started in two thousand three, and um, you know, now uh, this year my goal is to do a hundred transactions. And when I first started, uh, I was actually a theatrical stage manager and I really wanted to buy a house. So knowing nothing about uh, real estate, I thought to myself, I was making less than $30,000 a year. Uh, I couldn't, I thought I couldn't afford to pay an agent and buy a house. Very little money saved, uh, but I had enough that I could probably do an FHA loan. And in fact, I actually talked to a real estate agent and they told me I should buy a condo. Um, and I didn't want to buy a condo. I really wanted to buy a house. So I started looking on some of the, you know, internet was still relatively new at that point. Uh, I started looking on a lot of the websites and I found the HUD home website and, uh, started looking on there, but I couldn't make offers on properties because I wasn't an agent. So I thought, well, I'll solve that problem. I'll go get my license. <laughs> I can start making offers on properties and buy them and live in them and fix them up and then resell them. So basically, I thought, I'll be a flipper. Right? Yeah. <laughs> with no start money. with my own. <laughs> right. Start with my own, live there and do it over time and then be able to move and build some money there because it was really the only way I could see in Southern California to be able to buy a property in less than $30,000 a year. Sure. Um, so based on that, I, I called a bunch of real estate offices. Two people called me back. Uh, one of them I went in, they set me up on with my online class. Now I was still working my theater job at the time. So while I was getting my license, I was just doing that and uh, still working in the theater as a stage manager. And then I got my license. And, but as I was taking classes at the real estate school in the mornings before my other job, uh, I started seeing some similarities between what I was doing as a stage manager and being a real estate agent um, and that taking people through a really challenging process and um, and making sure that the communication was there, all of those things appealed to me. Um, so the thought of buying a house and flipping it kind of went to the wayside and it shifted more towards, hey, this is there's a lot of similarities between the two and I have more potential to be able to grow and make money and, and all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, initially I was doing both jobs. I was going into the real estate office in the morning and then going to my theater job in the afternoon into the evening and just, uh, was working both jobs. <clears throat> um, my very first transaction was my brother and he bought a property. 
Thanks, bro. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and I remember I got my first check and it was like $2,000 and I said, that's it. And I had worked for like six months basically to get that $2,000 check um, between the splits and then paying another mentor agent, all that other stuff. I was blown away at how little I made mm-hmm. in that time frame. Um, I could do more by stage managing actually at, at that level. Um, so then uh, luckily, one of my title reps introduced me to Mike Ferry and I went to a Mike Ferry action workshop and sat in the very last row. It just sucked it all up. I said, Oh my gosh, this is exactly what I needed. Everyone else in my office was going out and buying pies or pumpkins. And I was making less than $30,000 a year, which is in Southern California below poverty level. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So <clears throat> I really did not have any money extra other than food and rent and car payment uh, to be able to go spend on marketing or any of those things. So it was so nice to have somebody give me a system that I could use that didn't require me to go buy postcards, didn't require me to go buy a bunch of stuff um, to give to people who I didn't know anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, I knew very few people that could afford to buy anything uh, because all my friends were theater people and they also were poor for the most part. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I just, uh, started following the Mike Ferry system, got on the phone, started calling people. And, um, initially I couldn't even, I really like ran back to the back of the room and said, I want to sign up for coaching. And they said, do you have any money? I said, no. Um, so I actually borrowed a little bit of money from my dad to get started and signed up for the base level coaching just so that I could get my feet wet. And then in my first next six months with Mike Ferry, I was able to get, 12 transactions going through my first year and six transactions fairly quickly within the first three to four months. So as soon as my first commission check was closing, I bumped up my level of coaching and I've been in the full uh, level of coaching ever since. Wow. That's, that's great. So the couple of things I want to just make sure that people caught there that I think are really important for anybody that's listening that um, maybe you're newer in the business or maybe they're just kind of stuck in the business and the principles that you just laid out at the beginning of your career always, always stay true. So one of them is when you started, you realized pretty quickly that you um, needed something to follow. You needed some sort of system to follow because even, even when you started, it's, it was, it's much different now than in 2003. But even back then, there was a lot of different ways that you know, people were saying, follow this system, do this, farming. Um, you, know, you were in a prospecting environment with Mike, and there was all these different things. So you chose one that worked for you and went with it. The other part is you didn't come in to the business with a bankroll to all of a sudden just start going and spending money on marketing, you know, even properties, much less your yourself and your brand at that point. But you had one very important thing. You had your time. Mm-hmm. So you were willing to invest your time, which, you know, in, in the generating and the prospecting um, game, that's, that's what you're exchanging. And people will find out as we continue to talk what that's allowed you to build. So I think those are two really, really important points. Um, a theatrical stage manager, what is that? Because I've, I've got a hallucination of what it is, but I want you to tell me what it is. <laughs> um, basically, in the pre-performance section, uh, we run rehearsals. We would uh, organize all of the props, costume pieces that we would need for rehearsals, 
communicate what was happening with the director to the periphery, the, the costume lighting, all of those people, what they wanted to do and create. So we were kind of like the hub of communication. Okay. We brought all the people together. Uh, we ran the nuts and bolts of rehearsals, but we took notes. We had a book uh, that showed what was happening and where everybody was. Okay, got it. So my hallucination was, and, and that's a lot bigger than what I was thinking. My my hallucination was this was you're kind of coaching the actors, which I thought was a, a a great parallel to what our business is. I've always said, if you're a great real estate agent, if you're a really great listing agent then you are always on stage. You are an actor. You have a performance to give when you're working with buyers and sellers. But I, I can see even, even more so with what your role really was, you were kind of the conductor. You were kind of keeping the right. whole thing rolling, which obviously translates really well when you're dealing with uh, all the different types of people that we deal with in this industry. Yeah, there was a lot of problem solving involved, figuring out how this was going to get to here and this was going to get to here. And um, dealing with different egos and personalities and um, very quick on your feet thinking as well as long-term uh, thinking and planning ahead. So mm -hmm. a lot of varied skills. So you got in, you started doing some deals. You, you got, I would imagine you got stabilized within a year or two, you had replaced your income from the theater position. Oh, definitely. I tripled okay. it. Okay. So you tripled that. So now you're, now you're stabilized and you're going, okay, now I'm good to go on the real estate thing. What kind of switched in your, in your mind when you started realizing the opportunity that where, you know, maybe doing 12 or 20 deals was that wasn't going to suffice. And you decided, okay, I'm going to really see what I can do and start growing this business. How did that come about? I think a lot of it had to do with my exposure yeah. um, because I was around all of these amazing other agents at Mike Ferry events. Um, and I went religiously to all of these events. Um, I really was exposed to people who were doing 200, 300 transactions a year. And I thought, wow, I'm capable of so much more. Um, and, you know, once I started hitting 20, 25 transactions, I started bringing in additional support, even if on a, on a part-time basis, but um, that I saw how that I could maximize my efficiency by having people do things that they were really good at mm -hmm. and let me do what I was good at, which was going, finding the business, presenting, um, negotiating, all of those things, but then allowing the minutia stuff that really takes a lot of time to be mm -hmm. done by other people, whether it's a transaction coordinator or eventually an assistant uh, when I hired an assistant. Yeah. Yeah. I agree hundred percent. I can, I can see that. I remember um, my first uh, superstar retreat that I went to was I was eight weeks in business. And mm -hmm. when I walked in there um, after about the fourth day of hearing all the stories and the people at that time that were doing hundreds of transactions and they're net a million dollars and I'm going, wow, I know they at this point know a lot more than I do, but they don't look a lot different. They don't act a lot different. They told stories about how they sat there at one point and were the new person. And so it, it, it that normal that you surround yourself with is either going to be normal that's going to help you grow or it's going to be normal that's like it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to keep you down. It's going to keep you from being able to grow. It's just the environment that you surround yourself with. Absolutely. 
So in you started in 2003, so we had probably a good four-year run, maybe four-and-a-half-year run, and then 2008 happened. Right. Your market is one of extremes, um, and, and I would say compared to the rest of the country, probably um, shorter cycles. So you guys have, in between the national cycles, you guys have some local ups and downs and stuff like that that I'm sure clearly you're still here talking to us in 2020, so you've survived those and grown. What do you attribute um, that that staying power to um, for for people that are out there that are kind of wondering if they're newer or they're like, man, I don't know if this market doesn't hold forever that we're in. What do I do then? What could you um, what would you give them as some advice to be able to to maintain that? I actually felt when my it's I think it's harder to do business in an upward trending market. I, I agree. Because there are more agents getting in because the perception is that it's easy because the market is going up. Mm -hmm. You don't have to do anything for the seller's values to be going up in their properties. Yeah. It just goes up automatically. What's harder and what I felt like um, those 2003 to 2008 years actually prepared me for was that I had been learning the expired scripts. I had been learning all of those things and I felt like in some ways I was struggling more because I was more prepared for a downward trending or flat market mm -hmm. than I was for that upward trending market. And I had to learn in the upward trending market to be more flexible with pricing because yeah. if I looked at the comps, the next house was going to sell for $20,000 more. Yeah. And if you're, I told the seller that I, they weren't going to get that price, they just didn't list with me. Yeah. So You're losing listings it, and they turn around and sell 90 days later. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So the prices would just go up and catch up to wherever they were going to be. So I had to learn that what what Mike taught us was more for a flat market or a dending market, the way that I was interpreting it when I first started. So when I, when we, the market shifted, I was excited because I finally could practice what I've been learning and and practicing for so many years. Mm-hmm. So actually my mark, my business really skyrocketed because I really went after expireds and I was able to help a lot of those people who were being told by other agents, Oh, you can still price it here. But if they priced it here, they would lose 20, 30, 40, $50,000 in a couple of months because yep. they were sitting on the market watching their equity erode. Yeah, no doubt from 2000, I remember 2000, late 2008 through 2012 or 13 in our markets, it was, it was um, like trying to catch that, that falling knife. You had to anticipate where the price was going to be, not be going off of any, any past comps you were too late on. Like it was already gone and now you're, you're costing the seller money. And those are tough conversations. But yeah. you're, you're right, it's tougher to grow in an um, upward trending market. And I think this is one, I'd like to hear your thoughts on this. This is one of those things where like right now, if you are a new agent or newer agent, in the last three or four years, you've only seen a good market. Right. So there's a really great advantage that you need to understand. And that is the advantage of what Melinda just said, value proposition to the sellers right now is that you have a license and that you can present well enough to be on the same page as the other people. For a lot of sellers, that's it. And so that's great because as a new person that comes in today, the, the field's been leveled. Like you've got the opportunity to come in and learn the skills and really take off because the sellers aren't so discriminating on what they're going to hire. For those that have been in the market for a while, 
then understand there will come a time that if you don't learn your skills, then the market's going to change. Whatever it becomes, it's going to change and be different than today. And you have to be prepared. Otherwise, that's when the sellers, that's when they really start looking for the skills. And if you don't have them, then you're going to lose out. And that might be the new person that came in and chose to learn. Right. Absolutely. They can out hustle you. Yeah. Yeah, for (laughs) sure. And they come in hungrier. Right. No doubt about it. So, um, what, tell me a little bit about what your, your, what your team looks like now. Um, so I have a buyer's agent and an assistant who just went full time about a year and a half ago. Um, and I have a transaction coordinator who for the last nine years has been offsite, been a virtual transaction coordinator. Um, but we just are making the transition to having a in, in-house uh, transaction coordinator dedicated just for us part-time. Got it. And so when you, is that something that you started once you realized that, okay, I'm trying to scale the business up and I need to become more of a a specialist or um, what, what was the first move that you made when you started building that out? Was it somebody's administrative or production? Yeah. The very first thing that I did was when I probably got to about 30, 32 transactions, uh, I had a transaction coordinator from day one. Um, so I always use the transaction coordinator in the office uh, and then I eventually started hiring my own, but they were always kind of offsite people or mm-hmm. independent transaction coordinators after that first initial transaction coordinator in the office. And uh, she spoiled me the first one because she was great. She would really like, we would meet once a week and we would go through all the updates and then she would take care of all the follow-up in between. Um, so I, I really, had a very high expectation of all my transaction coordinators after yeah. that. Um, but then, uh, like I said, then I've just had somebody who's very offsite and we meet once a week or if they get a phone call from me, it's usually because there's something very urgent. I let them do their job. That's the, the, the goal anyway, is to let them do their job. I don't need to handhold them the whole way. Mm-hmm. If I need to send them information, I'll send them information, but otherwise, you know, I just let them do their thing. Um, I hired my first assistant when I was doing about 32 transactions a year because I found that things like my database uh, was getting neglected. Um, I found that I was spending more time on um, things that somebody else could be doing. So um, I hired an assistant part-time at that point. And uh, then as I started ramping my business up more, um, they came on more as I was getting into the 50 transactions a year range that they were full-time at that point. Yeah. Um, and then at some point in there, I ended up splitting, um, because I, my assistant started doing some buyer's agent type duties. So, um, then we ended up getting them licensed and, um, that kind of transition kind of happened gradually. Um, just, and most of the time it was that they weren't showing property necessarily, but they were able to go and do the inspections and the mm-hmm. appraisal, which as you can take a, take a long time yeah. and an inspection can take several hours, which, uh, can be better used me doing something else. Um, so that's where I started to see that I needed someone who could come and do that as I was getting into the 45, 50 transactions, I really needed to hand that portion of things off. Mm-hmm. Um, so then once. So then that happened and then I hired a part-time assistant again. So then I just had the buyer's agent and the part-time assistant and of course the TC. So that's kind of how that builds a little bit Mm -hmm. organically. 
as my business started to grow, things would shift and change. And now we're going through another shift and change because I see that I'm starting to jump back into doing more follow-up on things because the TC isn't here or I need to go do things because we need somebody here um, or my assistant's going out to do stuff that could be done that we need an additional person here instead yeah. of a person who's uh, far away. So it'll just make you, it more efficient for us. Do you focus primarily on listings then? Yes. Okay. Uh-huh. Okay, good. So one of the one of the things I picked up on is we didn't talk about this ahead of time. Um, you mentioned where you transitioned and said, I need some help. And I think this is really, really, really important point. Um, you said around 30, 32 transactions when you're on track for that, right? Mm-hmm. And it was primarily because the time that you were um, doing the income generating thing started getting impacted. You were starting to do some of the servicing side, right? Right. Uh-huh. So that's, that's across the board, that 20 to maybe 30, 35 transactions, that's kind of maximum density. And that's for somebody, I, in my opinion, if you're listing heavy, if you're working primarily buyers, it might be even sooner than that because right. the, the buyers might be so front end loaded on the time, showing properties, drive time, things like that. And it's not, it, a lot of times people, I believe they wait and they make the decision of when I can afford it. And that can expand that, that time that you're in just that drudgery. The worst part of my business, though not the worst, but the toughest part of my business was in the year when I was, when I was trending about 40 properties and hadn't hired anybody yet because mm-hmm. you're just, you are doing everything and now you're running this roller coaster. So you start, you, you run, 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 you create a bunch of business and now you're servicing it all and everything stops. And then right. you run, 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 run. And I can remember Greg telling me six months before I hired somebody, you better hire somebody, you better hire somebody. It probably cost me 15 deals in the six months that I hadn't hired somebody until it dawned on me, he's right, I am late to the game on this. And so when then you make that move, the, the critical part is, it sounds like you made the move, but then you went back and reinvested the time that you saved into doing what you were supposed to be doing, which is going and generating new business. Right, well, I mean, when you hire an admin, it's scary because you're now committing to paying this person um, money that you may or may not have. Mm-hmm. Um, and there may be months where you don't have that income where you have to take uh, a little bit of a loss. So mm-hmm. there have been a few times in the past where I haven't taken a salary for a particular month or whatever. Um, so, but it's definitely scary, but it, I find that every time I do bring on somebody new, it causes me to reinvest my time back into prospecting more so that I can find that business to support that. Um, so, because I know that I have to pay that, I don't have the option of paying payroll. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, yeah. the times that I've seen bringing on staff or bringing on systems, because both staff and systems are designed to give you your time back. Right. And if you reinvest your time in income generating activities and things that are going to affect the bottom line, that's an investment because you can you can you can see a return off that investment. But when people invest in time or in systems and um, staff, but then they don't reinvest their time, it becomes an expense. And that's when it doesn't work and they declare, well, this didn't work. But it's instead when they hire that staff, they just say, well, man, this is great. I don't have to do this stuff anymore. And then they went and played golf or they went and did something else. 
doesn't change what you have to invest. It just allows you to get a return from it. And I think that's, that's one of the points where when, when people invest in that and then they don't go and get a return from it, it's just an expense line of the P&L. Absolutely. Yeah. So what do you have? Uh, you said you have a, a goal of a hundred transactions. Mm-hmm. What's it going to take? We're in, we're in February right now. First week of February, 2020. Everybody is, is, I would imagine if there's one part of the year that they're focused entirely on hitting that year's goal, it's the first quarter, hopefully. So what do you have to do in order to, to hit that goal? What are one or two of the things that, um, that you know you've got to accomplish or your team's got to accomplish to be able to get to that goal? Um, the biggest thing is getting back to the basics of everything. So we're kind of going through a process of reevaluating our systems to make sure that we're streamlining and efficient in each of those systems, especially bringing on a new staff person. It's a great opportunity to do that. And then really keeping my focus on prospecting, uh, presenting, practicing the scripts and going out and previewing property so that I can really minimize that. I, I like to think of our staff is kind of like a doctor's office. I'm the doctor and then we've got the nurses and we've got everybody has their own specific tasks. So really fine tuning and honing in on each person doing their tasks to the best of their ability so that we can grow there. Got so you got the, you got the specific people doing their things and for somebody listening right now, what are your, go through your responsibilities again. You get everybody trained up, everything, if everything's running, if it, life's as good as it gets on your team, what are you, Melinda, doing? Prospecting. Okay. Going on appointments. Okay. Presenting. Um, previewing properties so that I know my inventory, so that when I go on an appointment, I have the confidence to know exactly how much that home is going to sell for. And then um, practicing my scripts on a regular basis. So role-playing. Um, I do a live listing presentation. We review it every week. Um, that's that's what ideally in, in the world, my job would be not doing a lot of the other stuff. So do you have as the, the rainmaker, the team leader, um, do you have more responsibilities now in your year that you're going to hit a hundred transactions than you did when you were say doing 15 or 20, or are you actually doing less than you were when you were doing 15 or 20 deals? When I was doing 15 and 20 deals, I was doing everything. So, so uh, yeah, I was responsible for every little piece of it. So I think I have less responsibilities. They're just more fine tuned. Yeah. But I am still responsible for the whole entity, the whole team. Yeah. Um, You know, and so for example, uh, on the weekends, you know, if somebody's off, if somebody else is off on my staff and I need to get something done right away, I'm still going to have to do it. Mm-hmm. So that still happens, but less so yeah. because it's about weeding through the urgency. A lot of other people like to create urgency for us and we have to decide what our urgency is and what's, what does need to be done right then. Or if it's something that can wait until Monday morning when we're back in the office. Yeah. Um, so yeah, a lot of people like to create fires for us otherwise, but um, yeah. You know, just filtering through that and saying, okay, this is what's important to do right now. This is what's important to do later. That yeah. Makes sense. yeah, it does. And I, I, I go back to your example of the doctor. You see, see yourself as the doctor's office and the doctor on Sunday afternoon will go in. If the, doc, if the office is on fire, he's going to go meet the fire department. That's just, it's just going to be what he needs to do. 
But on Tuesday afternoon, if somebody comes in and has a problem with their bill, the doctor's not handling that. And that's, I think, what that's where you had this set up as. And for anybody that's out there that's trying to grow and has the, you know, in the back of their mind, which is logical, it just isn't true. It's logical to believe I'm going to have to work harder. I'm going to have to take on all this stuff in order to grow my business. There's a portion of time where, yes, you do have to take on more things and you have to bear down and, and grind your way through it. But on the other side, where Melinda is right now, then the job actually gets easier. It gets, right. It's easier to do 50, 60, 80, 150, 200 transactions than it is to do 25 or 30. <laughs> hundred percent. I mean, my friend Lee Marcus, I don't know if you know him, mm -hmm. but he said that um, the business gets easier the more you do. More business comes to you, the more business you do. Yeah. So the, the reputation that you build, all of those things, people will call you more, the more business that you're doing. Yeah. hundred percent. I used to make um, calls and I would have to talk to 200, 250 people to get an appointment. Um, yesterday I talked to 33 people and I made three appointments. So it's a very different place and the skill level is higher. All of those things have been an accumulation effect for the last 17 years yep. to get to where, where we're at. Yeah. Yeah. And that's one of the, I think that's one of the, uh, one of the challenges when people come into business, they may observe you. There's probably somebody watching you and going, but you know, 30 trans or 30 contacts. And she set three appointments and went and took two of the three listings and she could add the third one, but it was way overpriced. So she turned it down. They're going, okay, well, I'm three weeks in the business. If I just talk to 25 or 30 people, I'll be good. Well, there's a big gap that you didn't see what Melinda was doing. And right. that compounds over time, like you said, to where now that kicks in about the same time as your skills are off the chart. And now you can, you can, you know, 10% of the people that you're talking to, you're setting an appointment with and you're listing probably 75, 80% of them. Right. And I think that that can be frustrating for newer people. They sure. see more experienced people just, rocking and rolling, but they don't see all the sweat. I mean, I used to role play and practice an hour in the morning and an hour in the afternoon every day yeah. when I was new because I knew that I needed to ramp up really quickly because I needed to have a paycheck or I was going to be out on the street. Yeah. So I had a lot of checkbook motivation when I first started and I'm really grateful that I had those systems and I, somebody could tell me what to say so that I could practice those things and role play those and learn them to the best of my ability to grow faster. Got it. Awesome. Well, as we kind of wrap up here, um, anything else in terms of that uh, you'd want to leave it with the group um, that you think is, is really important that they know based on what you've already learned, you've kind of gone ahead, you're the scout. Now you're going back to your, your, uh, folks behind you and saying, listen, do this or don't do this, what would it be? I would say, keep it simple. Don't overcomplicate things and have patience with yourself um, so that most people give up right before they're about to succeed. Yeah. So if you continue, I know that even when I was more successful and doing well, there were certainly time periods where I thought, am I really... <laughs> right field should I really keep doing this um yeah. no it would just usually those moments when you ever you experience those is right before you're about to have a big breakthrough um so keep on plugging and you can make it happen if you want it yeah 
Yeah, I agree. And there's a, there's a great book out there if, if for those listening. If you haven't already read, it's called Three Feet from Gold. And it, that's the principle is most of us stop right before we get the return and the payoff. And with as many shiny objects as we have in this industry, um, it's easy. You spend a couple months doing this, that, it didn't work. Two months doing this, it didn't work. Finally, the year's over, nothing worked and you're out of business. Keep at something that works for you, that you're comfortable with. Find out who you're going to listen to and make sure they've already done what you want to do first before you start listening to them. So Absolutely. Yeah. And pick one thing. Don't keep bouncing around. Yeah. If you keep bouncing around, that's just going to get confusing. Absolutely. Well, this has been great, Melinda. I appreciate you sharing so much and being so open. And um, if anybody wants to get a hold of you out there on the West Coast in Long Beach and send you some referrals or hit you up for some uh, some. Um, East Coast prospecting or East Coast role playing after they're done prospecting and you're just getting to the office, how do they get a hold of you? Uh, you can reach me at 562-316-2915 or melinda at the elmerteam.com. Awesome. And uh, I appreciate that again. And uh, for those of you that are listening, please go ahead and subscribe to the podcast. Leave us feedback, good, bad. We like all feedback. It helps us get great guests like uh, Melinda on here. And uh, as always, you can reach out to me on Facebook through Messenger or Instagram. And um, until the next one, I appreciate everybody tuning in. And Melinda, thanks again so much. We really enjoyed it. Absolutely. Thank you. Bye.